BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Was it like an ear sheer iridescent blue with like a purple shift to it? And I was at John Wayne Airport, which you can imagine, very conservative Orange County. I'm like going through John Wayne and I go up to the sky cap and he's like, what is on your lips? And I'm like, it's UVB by Urban Decay. And he goes, well, it's not Mary Kay, that's for sure. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the best-selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Welcome back to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Hi, Jill. Hey, Carlene. What's going on? Oh, not much. It's December. Yeah, holidays are coming. It's all in full swing now. Happy belated Thanksgiving to all of our U.S. listeners. Hope you scored some good, good deals. <laughs> Black Friday deals. Yeah, definitely tag us in your in Instagram stories if you guys get anything good. Mm-hmm. Speaking of good stuff, in today's episode, we are chatting with an amazing founder, and that is Wendy Zomner, co-founder of Urban Decay. We always love getting a sneak peek at where all of the magic happens. So we were grateful to be able to meet with Wendy at the Urban Decay headquarters in the heart of Newport Beach, California, when we were there a couple months ago. When you're in their offices, it's a bit of a bubble, I guess, because you would never know you were in Newport Beach. It's all concrete and everything is purple. Their brand colors and all of that and mm-hmm. concrete floors. But I loved Wendy's office the moment that we could yeah. go in and check it out. She had all of this really kitschy, cool stuff that I could imagine like picking up at garage sales in LA and in the Hollywood Hills. And yeah. she had these great vintage platinum chairs that were like royal blue or something. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, those chairs would be like really expensive, like five digits. And she's like, oh, my yoga instructor gave me these. I'm like, what kind of yoga instructor has? In Newport Beach only. These kind of chairs. Yeah, it was amazing. it's almost like her whole entire office is like a mood board. Urban Decay is really so iconic. If there is one makeup brand that I have on my face every single day, it is Urban Decay. That's really saying something. Mm -hmm. So what's the one go-to that's always there? If I am wearing makeup, I am wearing the primer potion. Right. Even if I'm just wearing mascara, I will wear the primer potion on my lids. So your eyeshadow does not smudge and move around. Mascara doesn't transfer or wet. It's really like insurance for your eye makeup. It completely stays put. And I have a lot of redness on my eyelid. Okay. 
And so I find it neutralizes that because nice. with the primer potion, the original, it's a little, it has a hint of color to it. Yeah. And yeah, it just keeps everything from sliding around. Okay. Well, there you go. We jumped into the products yeah. already. Couldn't help ourselves. But for a bit of background, Urban Decay launched back in 1996. And so if you think about that time, like grunge was kind of peaking at that time. So think about even the name Urban Decay, right? It's It was kind of like grungy and everything was meant to be subversive. And some of their shade names was like Acid Rain and Roach. You know, it was a very 90s vision of what cool looked like. But I think to your point, what's interesting is that like none of that should really stand up today, but yeah. just the performance has been so good that it's just completely still a huge brand today. Absolutely. I remember reading in Allure, there was a nail polish called Asphyxia that was an Urban Decay shade back in the day. Mm -hmm. And it was a shimmer with like a blue shift to it, almost mm -hmm. like a chameleon color. And this was a crazy story. There was like a super fan of yeah. Urban Decay and she wanted to paint her car the same color as her favorite nail polish. <laughs> so she made contact with the Urban Decay offices at the time to see if she could get enough supply to paint her car that this color. That sound real. I know. And so then they were able to source from their vendor a mm -hmm. version of it that would work for car paint. Mm. And so as the story goes, there's some like Ford Explorer in Southern California with the license plate, Asphyxia. Wow. That has that shade yes on, the shade on it they came the through top. wow well I know there's some kind of correlation between like car paint and mm -hmm. nail polish or whatnot yeah. but the whole that's taking it to a whole new oh, level yeah so the whole kind of raison d'etre I guess for urban decay was all about bold shades you know it was like them and mac and that was pretty much about it if you wanted green nail polish there there weren't nearly as many places to go as we have now. But ironically, the makeup product that ended up being the number one bestseller from Urban Decay is the Naked Palette, which mm -hmm. is quite famous today. Yeah, It's all neutral eyeshadows, 12 of them in the palette that sold for around $58 US and 66 Canadian, which was quite a bit cheaper also than other palettes, premium palettes yeah. that are on the market. In 2010, when it launched, it was instantly snapped up by makeup novices and makeup lovers. And I think that was the other really special part about it. It was that intersection of the pro mm -hmm. and the makeup just novice person doing it in their bedroom at home. And it really had everything going for it. Incredible quality. There was a lot of pigment payoff. The shadows themselves were very blendable. It was a mix of textures like satins and mattes, shimmers. And there was 12 pans in mm -hmm. the palette that you would actually use. That's a lot. Yeah. Every single shadow. And it looked good on almost everyone. And I think that's something that's not talked about a lot with the Naked palette, but was a game changer, was the brush that they included. Oh, okay in the palette. Good point. Because yeah. it was dual ended, two different shapes. It allowed you to blend. Mm -hmm. And the ones on the market at the time, either you got a crappy little sponge with your drugstore palette, or you would have to invest like 50 bucks or more on a good, several different professional makeup brushes for eyes. Right. That's a great point. I think about what was around at that time. There was MAC and Makeup Forever mm -hmm. and they had great palettes too, but they were much more expensive and you might use three shades out of the palette and the rest would just kind of sit there and get dusty. And that iconic palette, Naked, Launched in 2010, like I mentioned, and according to Pop Sugar, sales of the palette broke the $1 billion mark. 
Wow. As of 2018. And so that's about 30 million pallets were sold of that one product in eight years. Wow. And really it set off a whole industry-wide pallet boom. And Crazy. Wendy is going to talk about that whole movement in, mm-hmm. in today's episode, which was really fascinating. And in 2018, the brand sort of did the unthinkable, which was they killed off this iconic best-selling product. Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> She's going to tell us in today's episode. Wendy's going to tell us all about oh that as well gosh. and the whole reasoning behind that. So the Naked Palette, of course, has sisters now. I'm wearing the Naked Honey Palette today. It's quite a bit more golden, I would say, than mm-hmm. the original Naked Palette. Um, it also has 12 shades. But I get compliments. Like whenever I've been wearing this for the better part of fall, this yeah. palette, I get a lot of compliments. Yeah. You can really like People see it. It's not me. overwhelming, but like it looks good on your eye color. Yeah. And it's like the pigment is, you actually see the color that yeah. you want to put on. But the truth is, it was actually quite difficult to pin down that one iconic product from Urban Decay because there truly have been so many groundbreaking products that people just love. Like you think about the all-nighter setting spray. The 24-7 eye pencil. I have so many of them. I love them. Every color, they stay put fully. Again, that the eye potion primer um, is so amazing. And this fall, they came out with the stay naked foundation. And I hadn't tried it when we did our big fall foundation roundup. It's a 24 hour wear foundation. And I, truthfully, this one's come out on top for me. It is a this really one's good my formula. Favorite. It's excellent. I do find it doesn't break down throughout the day. It's a very comfortable matte and um, it's got that great coverage, but it's easier to apply and blends in better than some of the other ones I tried, in my opinion. It's fully weightless, too, when yeah. you put it on. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's yeah. more comfortable. But I really do find that they nail a yeah. lot of their formulations, and they're very inclusive. That yeah. They have been from almost day that's one, true. too. And it almost feels like a heritage brand now, although Wendy is still very much with the company. But on that note, I think she's kind of gotten to this point in her life where she is starting to look back and reflect because she's such a seasoned vet when it comes to the beauty industry. So she was talking to us about writing a book. Yeah. I don't know if it's top secret or if we're letting the cat out of the bag, but it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I think she's been a female entrepreneur and kind of been through so many ups and downs and her company has changed hands many times. It certainly Mm -hmm. wasn't a straight shot to success. Mm -hmm. And it's no surprise to me that she's taking all of her wisdom and all of her key learnings and putting them into a personal memoir or an essay. It's yet to be determined, but definitely telling her story and helping other female entrepreneurs by doing so. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. And then perhaps this interview today is a bit of a preview because Wendy is going to chat with us about the backstory behind the iconic products we've been talking about. She'll also touch on that killer Lizzo campaign and what life was like before Urban Decay spilled onto the beauty scene. So Jill, we're getting some serious Cali vibes from our guest today. Memories of LA, just take me back to the beach already. (laughs) Well, funny enough, our show sponsor today, Osea Malibu, is completely inspired by the magical soothing powers of the sea. Actually, seaweed to be more precise. Osea is a botanical-based line that targets hydration, oil balancing, aging, and blemish solutions with certified organic seaweed at its core. 
Osea is formulated without parabens, petrochemicals, and sulfates, none of that stuff. And every single product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, and vegan. What's the hero for you, Jill? What have you been trying? Okay, I tried the Atmosphere Protection Cream and I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised because Mm -hmm. it has shea butter in it and avocado oil. And normally if I see those ingredients, I like run the other way because I'm so oily. But I do think it really absorbed well and it didn't feel shiny or look shiny under my makeup or when I had it on underneath my makeup. Yeah, it's like a nice matte silky finish. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that one too. Personally, Osea's Venice Skincare Studio is where I want to go next time we're in LA. Want to check out one of those customized facials for sure. Okay, I'll tag along. <laughs> for our listeners, we have a deal for you guys. If you head on over to their website, that's oseamalibu.com slash breaking beauty, you can get $10 off your first order of $50. That's oseamalibu.com slash breaking beauty for $10 off your first order of $50. We will link to it in our show notes. And now back to today's episode. I want to introduce you to something that everybody needs in their life, which is Adderall and compliments, which is also the name of my podcast. I'm Annabelle, and every week I want you to come kiki with me and my hilarious friends as we talk about everything from reality TV to dating fails, mental health. I promise it will make you laugh, and most importantly, it will make you feel so much better about your own life. So come join me and my baby stripper voice every Friday on iTunes, Spotify, and follow me on Instagram at Annabelle Zisisto and give me the greatest gift of all, which is validation. My name is Wendy Zomner, and I am one of the founding partners of Urban K Cosmetics. So tell us about where you're from and what life was like for you growing up. So I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. And in Fort Worth, Texas, life is about big hair and makeup. (laughs) So um, I was surrounded by, you know, that whole Texas mindset. But I had this really interesting mom. My mom was, she was very sporty. So she was a hardcore soccer player. She recycled everything. She grew up on a cotton farm with no running water and had to kill chickens every day to feed the family when she was like eight years old. So I have this mom who's kind of got Texas in her, but she's also this very sort of salt of the earth woman. And so I had this combination of, you know, wanting to like be in her makeup drawer all the time, but then also her pulling me back from that. So it was always something I wanted more of. And I remember the best gift she ever got me was when I was 13 for Christmas, I got one of those giant blockbuster makeup sets. Oh, nice. And I remember ripping pages out of magazines and taping them to my big mirror in my bathroom and trying to recreate the looks. And I remember taking like secretly ripping pages out of Seventeen magazine, which I was not allowed to look at or have, (laughs) but my parents' friend's daughter had it. And Mm -hmm. so I would go to their house and like rip the pages out and then try to do more of the model's look. So I remember like Whitney Houston when she was a model in there. And so that was really my sort of makeup upbringing was always like sneaking makeup, testing out things and just really playing a lot. And I got sent home from school in eighth grade for wearing too much makeup. And in Texas, that's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> so so I was really, really into it. And I remember seeing pictures of myself going, oh my God, that was ridiculous. I was 13 and yeah. all that like smoky so like, eyeshadow. Was it like a lot of teased hair, that kind of thing? Or? Um, it wasn't so teased for young women my age. It was more about the hot roller uh-huh. yeah. and about the big curls and the hot roller. Every right. morning... 
involved a set of hot rollers and a curling iron. So oh. I had curling iron burns all over my body. Oh, yeah. What about uh, pageant life? Any, uh, any oh, beauty yeah. secrets from behind the so scenes? Many, one of the interesting things I learned was to hold your swimsuit down, you would go to the sporting goods store and you would buy this stuff called tough skin. It was stuff football players sprayed on their hands to make their hands sticky so that they could catch the ball or tennis players would use to like grip. Sneaky. And you'd spray it on your butt. Yeah. And then you would... Not get a wedgie. Yeah, not get a wedgie. And then the other thing was to use hairspray on your face to set your makeup. And no. it felt terrible. It felt just awful, but it, it stuff didn't move at least, yeah. you know, like, cause you were wearing a lot of makeup. You're just like, yeah. your, your smile is just like sprayed, like kind of sprayed on. <laughs> and you have to remember like back in the eighties, it wasn't the long lasting makeup we have now, yeah. like stuff like ran down your face totally. under the hot lights. And so, you know, we were just trying to think of like anything Hacks. you could to, I never found that Vaseline hack worked. So I oh, put Vaseline on your teeth. I just had lipstick on my teeth all the time and I still do. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was big. And so fast forwarding a little bit, what was going on at the time when you started thinking about urban decay? Like when the, the wheels started turning? Well, I'm going to back up a teeny bit sure. back to high school. And, you know, I had this incident. I remember, you know, like, showing up at, I got dragged to church every Sunday and showing up at church. And I always loved, you know, wearing my makeup and my big hair. And I remember the priest was like, oh, you're hiding behind your mask of makeup. And I always mark that as sort of the turning point for me in my point of view on beauty. And I don't think I knew it then. I didn't like have this like light bulb. I'm like, I'm going to start a beauty company. But I did have a light bulb moment that was I'm not hiding behind a mask. I'm telling you something about myself. Like I'm showing you something. And I think that perspective is really what sort of led down the path of having a point of view on beauty that was more about, you know, self-expression. So that was really that first aha moment when this isn't fair, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know how when you're a teenager, you have this, this isn't fair kind of moment. It was my, like, this isn't fair. And I think it really shaped my perspective right. yeah. on beauty. Hey guys, Carlene here, and I want to take a minute to talk about a really cool service called Acuity Scheduling by Squarespace. They're one of our valued show partners, and Acuity is one of those things that's going to make the life of any small business owner so much easier. Case in point, about a year ago, my hair colorist owned her own salon downtown, and she decided it was time to close it. Now she works out of what's essentially a work share space for independent hairdressers, lash techs, estheticians, so overheads are lower, they don't have to stress over managing staff, none of that. But what occurred to me last time I was there is how essential acuity scheduling would be for anyone running their own business in a place like that. Because clients can quickly view your real-time availability. They can self-book, reschedule with a single click. You can even link acuity to Instagram's booking button. Being a 24-7 scheduling assistant, acuity automatically sends booking confirmations, delivers text reminders, and lets clients reschedule on their own. It even processes payments. So not only do you not need to hire a receptionist, you don't even need a cash register. Personally, I think keeping that level of professionalism is really key, whether you're a one-person show or a 30-chair operation. So save yourself from the day-to-day -day drudgery of having to keep up with your clients and your busy schedule by using Acuity Scheduling. For a limited time only, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling 
absolutely free. There's no credit card required by going to acuityscheduling.com slash breaking beauty. That's A-C-U-I-T-Y scheduling.com slash breaking beauty. And we will link to that in our show notes in case you forget. And now back to today's episode. As far as how the wheels got turning, I was living in Laguna Beach. I had been in marketing after college and in advertising, and I had moved out here, you know, tired of being cold in Chicago, moved out here, and I knew I didn't want to work for a big company anymore. I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So I was diving into a couple, exploring a few different things. I was ready to quit my job and I was a scuba diving instructor. I was going to teach scuba diving and freelance write. So I started doing freelance writing jobs. I had a few lined up. And so I was just going to like cobble together a living doing that and then figure out what my next thing was. Cause I always mm-hmm. knew I wanted to make something. Like I remember when I was little going, I'm going to make something and sell it. And I got a phone call from a friend of a friend who was managing the sort of like business enterprises for Sandy Lerner, who had started Cisco Systems. Right. And Sandy was brilliant. I mean, she's the, you know, I think first self-made female, you know, gazillionaire in Silicon Valley. Cisco really started the whole, like they basically invented the internet. Yeah. So Sandy's this brilliant, interesting just off the beaten path kind of woman. And she actually came up, she was like, I want to start a makeup company. There's nothing interesting out there. And her business manager connected us through a friend who was like, if you want to do something with makeup and marketing, you got to talk to Wendy. So that's really how we connected. And that's how Urban Decay was born. We, you know, we met, she had this like idea and I really appreciate like Sandy was that mentor that showed me the path that like you can do this. And that's why I love telling my story and encouraging young women to be entrepreneurs because someone did that for me. Like she saw it in me that I could do it. And she's like, let's do this thing. And I was frustrated with the makeup world. Mm -hmm. She was frustrated with the makeup world. So that's kind of how we got it off the ground and made Mm -hmm. it happen. And like, what was the timeline on that? This was the mid nineties. Okay. So I remember a lot of what was going on at the time. Like I remember seeing Gwen Stefani on MTV singing, I'm just a girl. Yeah. And going, that girl's awesome. It would be great if we ever had her as a spokesperson. It took us 20 years, but we did get her. (laughs) It was, you know, just sort of like, Grunt was kind of ending and I don't know, and and things were getting more colorful. It was just exactly the right time for this all to happen. Mm -hmm. And beauty had been all about like that aspirational, like perfect girl on the magazine page. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, no, that's not, we're not that girl. We're still beautiful. And that's really how the whole like Urban Decay, people always ask about the name. Like how did the Urban Decay thing come about? Why is it called Urban Decay? Like that's a crazy name for makeup brand. And, you know, Sandy had been throwing around like it needs to be urban something, urban something. And, you know, the words Urban Decay got thrown out. And it, at first I was like, oh, we could never call a beauty company that. Like that was my first reaction. And then I think I was in New York or up in San Francisco. And I remember seeing like a crumbling brick wall and this rusting fire escape and thinking to myself, you know, there's real beauty in that. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like the most obvious, but if you look closely, like there's something interesting and beautiful, like wanting to come out and tell you its story. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what we wanted to say about beauty. Like it should be about like, 
you know, dressing yourself up however you want to be dressed up and telling your own story. And so Urban Decay just stuck. And then weirdly, people loved it. So it was great. And so 12 black nail colors. Yes. Well, not quite black, but like I would say nine of the 12 versions of black. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That was the first product. That and then 10 lipsticks. Okay. Yeah. Including a blue one. A blue one that I wore all the time. <laughs> I we need pictures. It was called UVB. It was really beautiful. It was like an ear sheer iridescent blue with like a purple shift to it. Yeah. And I was at John Wayne Airport, which you can imagine, very conservative Orange County. I'm like going through John Wayne and I go up to the sky cap and he's like, What is on your lips? <laughs> and I'm like, It's UVB by Urban Decay. And he goes, Well, it's not Mary Kay, that's for sure. <laughs> so Yes, it definitely got noticed. Yeah. But were you like showing it to buyers at the time? So I was, you know, working on my like little box of samples and hand rubbing like the little logos on each bottle. And I was like, how am I going to get in front of a retailer? And my ex-boyfriend's friend called me and he said, hey, uh, he was a swimsuit rep. And he's like, hey, I'm driving down the coast from San Luis Obispo and I'm seeing buyers in Orange County. Can I just stop and use your shower before I go on my meetings? And I'm like, Sure. So he goes in and while he's in the shower, I realize he has a buyer list. He's going to Nordstrom. He has a buyer list in his bag. (laughs) So I just pulled it out. I wrote down all the names of the buyers. I put it back in. He left. I picked up the phone and I was like, hey, I got your name from Fred. And they like, can I get the name of the cosmetics buyer? And because I had a connection and their direct line, they gave me all the names. Yeah. So I ended up, I know, I know. And so then I ended up calling um, and getting this San Diego regional buyer for Nordstrom on the phone. And she was like, well, I'm leaving in vacation for two days. So if you can come down tomorrow, you can show me what you have. And I'm like, okay. So I got in my car, I drove, drove down to San Diego and I did my little presentation and I just thought she'd be like, okay, I'll call you when I get back from vacate. And she pulled out an order form and wrote up an order. And I was like, I have to go make this. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And she's like, and you're going to need a display. So yeah, it was kind of, I was like a display. I never thought of that. Right. <laughs> I mean, this was like early days. This wasn't sophisticated like it is now. Yeah. The barriers to entry for a small makeup brand were really high. Like now yeah. they're really low. Anyone yes. can you go on the internet. You can figure Direct out how to, to do consumer. it. Yeah. yeah, you can do it. Yeah. But then it was much, much higher. So I then took the order and got super excited. And then I was like, display. So on my way back, I like looked up, you know, in the phone book, like metal shops in Orange County. And I found this place where you buy like sheet metal. And I went there and I was like, okay, could I buy a welder and build this thing myself? Like, how am I going to make these displays? And I met this guy there. He's a one-armed man. He had one arm and he's like, I'll build them for you. I'm like, you? How are you going to build these for me? But he had this shop and he had all these different ways that he bent metal and bore out the little holes. And he built me the most beautiful displays made of diamond plate. Wow. Um, They were really expensive. So eventually we had to like manufacture, but he got me off the ground. He got me going. He got me going. Like, you know, that's just like kismet or something. Yeah, It's like the necessity thing, right? It was like, there was a fire under your ass and it's like, you found the people to help you make it happen because you had to, like you had no other choice. And that's what I always tell people. They're like, what is the thing you value most? You know, what's the most important like aspect when you're hiring people for a small 
business. And I'm like, look for people who are resourceful. Yeah. They don't have to be the smartest. They just have to know how to get stuff done. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just go. And so what about PR? Because I read that that was a very organic, like scrappy approach to getting in front of editors too. It was definitely scrappy. I was working out of my bungalow in Laguna Beach and there's a great hardware store in downtown Laguna, still there called Laguna Beach Hardware. And I went there and I'm like, okay, I got to build some press kits. What can I like get from the hardware store? Because I just wanted them to stand out. I didn't want to put them in a regular folder. So, you know, I got like metal flashing and liquid solder and bolt nuts and bolts and caution tape. And I built these like crazy press kits and I just looked up addresses on mastheads of magazines, mm -hmm. sent them out, called editors on the mastheads of magazines, said, I'm going to be in New York and just started knocking on doors. Yeah. And that's kind of really how we got the first press for it. And so what was the moment that you were like, you knew you were onto something like you had made Urban Decay was going to be a huge success? Well, I think the moment I knew it was, it had legs and it was going to take off was that first press trip to New York, because I really was in, able to engage with almost every single editor and mm -hmm. get some level of excitement. I mean, there were some places that gave us, you know, a significant story. Some just did a little mention, but I could tell that the industry was hungry for something new and mm -hmm. something fresh and something that was really different. And, you know, Mac was out there and they were definitely pushing the envelope and leading the way for all of us in terms of like an alternative perspective on makeup. But, there was also this, you know, sort of need for these indie, like indie little brands to be, you know, just sort of breaking down barriers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a really fun time. So yeah. you just felt, you felt the energy and we actually did a promotional piece and it was this kind of grungy looking girl in it. It says, does pink make you puke? <laughs> and I think we ran it in a little magazine or two. And people just went crazy for that line. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it didn't mean they literally hated pink, but right. it, it was everything it stood for mm -hmm. in terms of the expectation of what you're supposed to look like and how you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to aspire to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really struck a chord with people. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting that it started with nail polish because at the time it's just like there was like the Mac and the NARS and everything, but nobody was really like even paying attention probably to that category. Like, like what, what specifically about nail polish made, like, why did you want that to be your first? Well, I think people were starting to experiment with like darker nail polish. So it was the moment it was happening right at the vamp time, like right. dark nails had never, it had been red or nude. And I always say like, you got to imagine like in the mid nineties, the cosmetics department, well, one Sephora and Ulta didn't exist, mm -hmm. but imagine you're going shopping for makeup and it's not this sort of beautiful technicolor landscape that it is today. It was like pink, beige, and red. Mm -hmm. And if they were going out on a limb, mm -hmm. it was a mauve color story. And that was yeah. crazy town. So, you know, it it really was just that moment to be different. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment to chat about going au naturel this holiday season with one of our show partners, Native. 
tis the season for holiday parties and rubbing elbows with coworkers. I mean, as freelancers, we only really hang out with each other, Jill, but you know what I mean. I remember those office parties, though, and I can kind of just cringe thinking about it. There's nothing worse than being in the middle of a cocktail chat with a big wig and your mind starts to wander like, does my breath smell? Do I have B.O.? <laughs> Well, Native has you covered. It's an aluminum-free deodorant that contains antimicrobial coconut oil and moisturizing ingredients like shea butter, plus tapioca starch to help absorb wetness so you don't have to worry about staining your silk shirts. And it works. No stinky pits. The best-selling scent is the coconut and vanilla, but honestly, I'm here for the seasonal scents. Mm. They have holiday versions like candy cane. Whoa. Hello, peppermint pits. (laughs) Um, And it's formulated without parabens or talc and they do not test on animals. I'm on their website. How cute are these? They have a limited edition Native on the Go Holiday Trio. They're mini orb-shaped versions of their most popular scents. Oh, this is really giftable. Yeah, they have coconut and vanilla, lavender, rose, cucumber, mint. These are perfect for stocking stuffers like a co-worker. You're like, here you go. Yeah, just a little subtle hint. <laughs> well, Breaking Beauty listeners, you guys can try Native deodorant for yourselves with a discount code for 20% off your first purchase visit nativedeodorant.com slash beauty and use promo code beauty during checkout. There's no risk to try because Native offers free returns and exchanges in the U.S. That's nativedeodorant.com slash beauty for 20% off your first purchase and use the promo code beauty during checkout. We will link to it in our show notes. Now back to today's episode. And you've had so many iconic innovations and products since then. Which one would you say is like the number one bestseller? Ironically, I think the Naked Palettes are the number one bestseller. Uh, Right now, our biggest seller is the All Nighter Setting Spray, right? which replaces the hairspray I used to put on my face. So you see where these things come from, right? (laughs) Born from necessity and new technology. But the Naked is really interesting. And the way that came about was... You know, I was traveling and I was always wearing like, you know, an outfit and trying to do some fun colored makeup to go with the outfit. But you always need like a great base of a couple nudes that just kind of workhorse through like, you know, a purple eye and a green eye and a blue eye. But then you use those same kind of workhorse nude shades. So I was like, I want to just do a little quad palette with the perfect four shades in it. Here's my perfect four shades. And I'm going to ask a couple of people that work with me in product development. Hey, what would your favorite four shades be and just bring them to work tomorrow. And everyone brought their shades in and we laid them out and there was one dupe and that was it. It was like, I looked at them like, this is just like a perfect palette. It just made sense altogether. So we just replaced that dupe. We made, you know, really cool. It's a sort of fawny matte shade. Yeah. Threw it in there. It was done. And then I, I read that it's like sold oh, more than a billion dollars in retail sales with more than 30 million pallets. Something crazy <laughs> like that. Yes, I stopped counting. At one point it was like, oh, we sell one every two seconds or something. It was bananas. Yeah. And yeah. then just being able to do the different versions of that as color trends change. Like I look back on that original Naked palette and we thought it was so like warm and bronzy and so like pushing the envelope. And now I look at it and I'm like, it's so ashy. (laughs) So, you know, like we've come a long way in terms of warmth, in terms of eyeshadow and the pigments have gotten cleaner. The formulas have gotten softer. So, you know, we've been able to evolve from both a formula and a shade and a pigment load level. Right. So I remember you were talking to me once about how you even laid them out in the palette. And I thought that was so interesting how it was like, 
just like not a rainbow of shades, but you paid attention to even that. Oh, that's half the thing. It's yeah. just you get shades you like and then you start to lay them out. And the layout is really, really important to me. It always yeah. is. Yeah. Mm. So cool. And so at one point that palette was discontinued. Right. And what was the reaction and what was the reasoning? It really came about because we wanted to do some new naked palettes. Mm -hmm. I really felt like, you know, that whole thing I just told you about mm -hmm. it, like, oh, it looks ashy now. We had seen the sales start to dip in it. We felt like there was, you know, more room to create something that was more relevant and timely. Yeah. And so in order to make room for that more relevant thing, we felt like it was time to say goodbye. And it's one of those super iconic products that you don't just want it to let it like fade into oblivion, mm -hmm. kind of sadly, just like kind of fall off the radar. We need yeah. you to just say goodbye. It's really unprecedented to say goodbye to like an iconic product like that. I'm a big believer. It's my husband's favorite thing. A little quote I've said, and I say it to my kids all the time. It's really important to leave the party while you're still having fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. This applies to a lot of things in life, not just parties, obviously. Yeah. And I think it applied to the naked palette. So. Yeah. So let's talk about the all nighter long lasting setting spray, because that's also kind of iconic. Yes. Was it first to market at the time? Like, tell us about the backstory behind that product. Well, the backstory behind that is pretty interesting because what I love to do is talk to my field sales team. They are on the ground with the customer all the time and they know what people are asking for. And one of the things they came to me and said was, we we love doing a makeover on people, but a lot of people have really dry skin and it's hard to make someone's makeup look good when they're dry and patchy. So can we do like a lightweight moisturizer? We don't have to sell it that we can just all have. And so I came up with the idea of doing a moisturizer that would be like kind of a spray on moisturizer and it could be lightweight and work for a bunch of different types of skin and just provide that nice lightweight level of hydration that wouldn't make your makeup run off. So we started working with, with a company on that, on creating that. And then they showed us a spray they were working on that they had. And it was the setting spray. And they said, we have this temperature control technology. They showed us the research they had showing that it provides 16 hours of wear for your makeup and that it actually shielded the surface of the makeup and your skin to help it last longer. Hmm. And that to me sounded really interesting. So we went ahead and did the moisturizer. Didn't really go anywhere. Didn't really happen. But obviously the setting spray uh, took off and became yeah. a huge, huge thing. Yeah. I think one time you told me, and I don't, I don't know if this is like, can be on the record or not, but that it was for a very different purpose, that particular technology. Is that right? Yes. So it was lab technology used to like sort of preserve things in labs. Okay. And so that was kind of how it came about. It was mm -hmm. like 3M technology for that purpose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they just applied it to the setting spray. And right. so they found that it was pretty cool because he came in and he, he had you know, the stuff sprayed it. He had an indoor outdoor thermometer. And so he took the probe that you'd normally throw outside your window to get the outside temp. And he sprayed it with the setting spray. And you saw that the temperature in the room stayed the same, but then you saw the temperature on the probe start to drop. And mm -hmm. it was pretty crazy to watch it drop. Right. So you saw it drop like five or six degrees. So, so it actually did help keep things like cooler and 
preserve them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is that it's like you're keeping your skin cool so your makeup's not melting down. Is you're keeping the, whole... the makeup and the skin cool. Okay. So the makeup's not heating. I mean, the makeup's a thing, right? Yeah. So if you leave makeup in your hot car, it gets warm. Yeah. So it actually keeps both the makeup and your the, your surface temperature of your skin cooler. And to Carlene's point, was that like the first time ever that that technology was used in a makeup setting spray? Or were you like the very first makeup or setting, setting spray? Or were setting sprays a thing? Yeah, like, setting sprays weren't really a thing. So yeah. Scandinavia was doing it. And that right. was our partner, our like manufacturing partner on it. Uh-huh. And they were doing it, but they didn't have the same understanding of the makeup market that we right. did. So, right. right. It felt a little more like a skincare play. It wasn't really that customer. And so we took what they had in terms of technology and we were able to tweak the formula to mm-hmm. make it work perfectly with you know, what we thought was right for a makeup customer right? and do it in three different formulas. So we have one that's the de-slick that's more about mattifying for oily mm-hmm. skin and one that's called chill and it's more hydration for a drier skin. And then the all-nighter is the classic that most people yeah. know and love. Mm-hmm. But um, we were able to take and like tweak their formulation that we thought was strong, but not perfect. Yeah. And really market it and make it something big. Yeah. Now, I also, when I think about Urban Decay, I think about 24-7 and, you know, all-nighter and just long-lasting in general. Right. And now I feel like it's it really is a huge trend. Like there's a lot of brands catching up. There were so many foundation launches this fall and I feel like longwear was driving a lot of that. How do you test and be able to like stand by those claims 24-hour wear? Well, if you want to make that claim people should know that you actually have to do a test, a controlled test to be able to make a claim like that. So, but I like to do like a pretest. So I know what my goal is. So we would use things in the office and see how long they would wear. Like when we did the eyeshadow primer potion, which was another like big breakthrough product for us, you know, we wore it around for days and days just to see how long we could get it to last. So we actually got more than 24 hours of wear, but when we did the actual real test with test subjects, they were all like refused to continue. They're like, no, we need to wash our face now. So we got 24 hours plus, but they were all like, we're out, we're done. Yeah. But things like the 24 seven pencils, the reason that came about was because it was a formula I was working on. I tested it out. It just didn't move. I would run in it. I actually went surfing in it. It was still in my face. And I was like, this is really amazing. And I think there's something too long lasting because everyone wants their makeup to look great. We all have higher and higher expectations every year because the technology gets better. But, you know, we spend a lot of time putting our makeup on and I just don't think, I think most women again are like me, like I'm busy. Yeah, I have time to put it on one time and I want it to work and I want it to last and I don't want it to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why long wear is such a big trend. I think the technology continues to get better and better. And that's one of the things exciting about the makeup world is that it doesn't have to be a product you make and then you can always reinvent. And I think that's part of the fun is like, you know what? Eyeshadow is eyeshadow, but you can always make it better and better and better. And it's always been one of our philosophies here is like, Mm. we're never done. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we might be great, but it's never done because there's always new technology coming. Yeah. And I always get like that kind of shoot, darn it. And then also excited at the same time when like another company will come out with a formula that's really great. And I'll be like, why don't we have that? But now there's room for improvement. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of fun to have other 
brands pushing you. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about the beauty space now is it's just a lot of companies that are really trying to do great things in mm-hmm. beauty. And so everyone gets pushed to it's do better and better. It raises the bar for yeah. sure. Yeah. And speaking of which, you know, your makeup brand that stands for like being cool and edgy and, but you're also really responsible. Like you stand for being vegan and cruelty-free. Are your products in China or like, what's your stance on what you stand for outside of like- So we've always been cruelty-free and that's always been really important to us. And we've never made a makeup brush that's had real animal hair in it. Not one, not even one in a palette. And I remember we had a distributor in the UK and we were like, here's our makeup brushes. And they're like, these are terrible. They're, they're synthetic. And I'm like, well, you know, just deal with it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we're not going to sell a single one of these. And they ended up selling out because obviously in the UK, it's a big thing as well to be cruelty free. So it's always been important to us. Mm -hmm. We've always formulated our products with a vegan formula when it doesn't compromise the performance. And we've always done like a little paw print on the product so that it's a service to our vegan customers so Mm -hmm. that they know. And the good news is that more and more things can now be made vegan. So it's pretty great. If you don't want to use animal products in your makeup, uh, in your beauty closet, then there are so many more options for you now. I loved the new direction with the campaign you guys just launched, like the UD Global Citizens. Is that Yeah, the called? Global Citizens and our Pretty Different campaign. Yeah. I think Pretty Different, so rooted. It's, a, it's very modern and very cool and very of the moment, but it's really rooted in everything we've always stood for. So the original brand statement we wrote was, Urban Decay is makeup for girls and boys who want to show the world who they are and put their own stamp on it. And we always said it's beautiful, but unusual. And so those are the kinds of words we used in the past. And I love how Pretty Different takes all of that from the 90s and embodies it in something really relevant for today. Mm -hmm. So how did you get connected with Lizzo? I feel like she's having the biggest year ever, perfect timing. Like, Yeah, you know, we just really said we'd like to create a group of these Urban Decay citizens that represent the diverse group of our customers, you know, because we are so different and it's hard when you're doing like a campaign and you have to pick a model to represent everyone. And we were like, it's really hard to do that. So how do we represent our customer? And so we started just looking at, you know, different recording artists, actresses, people that could, you know, had an audience And also represented something important to us. Mm -hmm. So she's all about like loving yourself and inclusivity. And it's pretty exciting when you discover someone and then everyone else discovers them too. Totally. So that was really great for us because we connected with her and believed in her early on. And then it's so awesome when you see other people Mm -hmm. see the same magic that you saw. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic timing. I just went to her concert in New York to Radio City Music Hall. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Jill's been. I, I just went, well, I saw her last year when she opened for Heim in Nashville and she was opening and that was only April, 2018. And then I saw her in Toronto two weeks ago and she had to change venues because her fan base is so big now. Yeah. yeah it's it's wild. So and who doesn't want a pair of that bitch sequin pants? <laughs> right. They're so <laughs> I good. want them. Yes. Uh, so we have one more question for you before a quick rapid fire okay. round. And that's about how you 
kind of get some balance in your life because here we are at the Urban Decay HQ and like we're right down the street from the beach. And, you know, I know you love to surf and you're very active. So like, how do you negotiate just like getting some kind of healthy balance? Well, I think balance is the magic to everything in life, right? Everything's a balance. Too much work, too much play. It's all about finding the right balance. Too much makeup, not enough. Mm -hmm. All about finding the right balance, family work. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think that's the work in life to me is like, when is too much, too little? And just being able to adjust. Yeah. I think about those, think about those balance boards, right? You stand on one of those balance boards, you know what I'm talking about? That's a board with like a half circle on the bottom yes. and you just got to balance and you never feel a hundred percent steady. Right. But you're always trying to find that sweet spot. And I think that's always how I think about whatever it is I'm doing. Like, okay, have I had enough time at the gym or am I shorting myself? Do I need to go more? Have I spent enough time at, you know, working on projects and work and taking care of my team here? Or do I need to like take some time with my family? Mm -hmm. Does my family, have they, are they done with me and I can go off and do something else or do they need more of me? And so it's always about like assessing and evaluating. Like, I think it's that same philosophy of you're never done. Mm -hmm. There's never one magic formula. Yeah. And it's being good with that journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people sometimes get hung up is like, okay, here's the path. But the path is, it's not a straight path. It's not a clear path. It's always an adjustable path. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Rapid fire, right? Yes. Uh oh, I'm, just, yeah. I'm a little scared. No, oh, it's don't be, be scared. Good. Okay. <laughs> um, number one drugstore buy of all time. Ooh, I would say uh, like Sashvit top coat. Mm, mm -hmm. It's a classic. Good one. Classic. Good it one. gets that nail polish dry when you just got to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, the workout trend you're obsessed with right now. Well, I wouldn't say right now, but I would say I have been CrossFitting for like 10 years and it has been amazing for me and helped me with every other sport I do. What's in your morning smoothie? Oh, I usually have strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, some macadamia nut milk, and some ice, and then a little vanilla protein powder. Oh, cool. What's your go-to sunscreen? I am going to get in trouble. Okay. <laughs> I use what all the surfers use. I use the Shiseido Wet Force. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All the surfers it's use a good it. One. Good it's a know. good one because it activates in water. So yeah. it stays on while you're surfing and yeah. Yeah. you need it to stay on. Like everything else you can kind of apply. Like I really love for under makeup. I love the SkinCeuticals one you shake that's really liquidy yeah. and thin. So good. But when I need a bulletproof, yeah. you need a bulletproof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about your trick for like surfer girl hair? Like do you... Oh, I got tricks. Okay. So I take and put my hair, I like lather it full of like the Kerastase oil. Mm -hmm. I put a lot of oil in my hair before I even go in the water. So oh. it seals up all those like maybe little damaged ends you have. Mm -hmm. And if you want to keep it like curled up in like a little coily thing, mm -hmm. it, that works great too, because then the water can wash through. I also, if it's sunny outside, I wear it in a little hat. I have a surf hat with like a little oh. strap. And so I'll pile it on top of my head and I just let the oil soak in there. And mm. then after I surf, I towel dry my hair. And then usually I don't rinse it out. I let that salt water in there and it gets yeah. all like gorgeous and fluffy. And it's like a salt water oil mix. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. This is a good surfer girl hair <laughs> hack. Totally. 
We have one last question for you. Do you have a life mantra? Oh, well, my life mantra is it's all about the balance. I actually have it on a little, uh, I have one of those like little tags you're supposed to wear when you're mountain biking that has your name and your information, and your blood type on it. And then on the back that you could put your mantra on it. And mine was like, it's all about the balance. Thanks for tuning in. Visit breakingbeautypodcast.com for details on all the damn good products we talked about in today's episode. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter. That way you'll get every episode delivered right to your inbox. You won't miss a single thing. Or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast fix. And please show us some love by rating us or reviewing us in iTunes. See you next time. Like a cherry bomb, like a cherry bomb.